Welcome to the latest episode of the I Need to Effing Tool You podcast. If you're a leader who is serious about building your leadership skills and transforming your organizational culture, you are in the right place. I'm Russell Stratton. And I'm Ken Cameron. And in this episode, we need to effing talk to Shane Wenzel, the name behind and the leader of the Shane Home Group of Companies. Now, Shane Holmes is one of the most recognized builders in Calgary, and Shane himself is a social media creative, a mentor, a podcaster, which is why he's here today, of course, a speaker, and an active member of the LGBT community. And when we heard your motto, earn it, don't expect it, we knew that we needed to have you on the show. Welcome to the show, Shane. Perfect. Thanks for having me, gentlemen. So the first question that we want to ask you is, uh, when and how did Shane Holmes get its start? Give us like the the suitcase version, the brief two-minute career history of your entire career scope in two minutes. In two minutes. Well, uh, the company got its start in 1979, uh, and it was started by my father, Cal Wenzel, and his business partner, Barry Balsley. Uh, they both worked for a uh, Jim Patterson company called Neonex Shelter here in Calgary. And Neonex Shelter was a, uh, a mobile home builder, and uh, both of them could not recognize, rather, that uh, you know that that industry was slowly uh, slowly going by the wayside. And uh, well, you know, they went out and they started their own company of uh, you know building single family homes under Shane Homes. Now the intent was that uh, you know my father would own. The majority shares in the company, and Barry uh, would own a, own a minority share in the company. And Barry was eventually going to retire. And uh, true to his word, at the uh, the twenty year mark of the company, Barry uh, Barry called it quits, and he moved on in life. So here we are today. You know, we uh, we started off our first year with uh, with six homes, and uh, you know today we build upwards of six hundred single family homes and uh, and one hundred to one hundred and fifty multifamily homes. We develop our own land, so. You can see over time that this had progressed quite amazingly. Now, I'm still a little confused, and this is where I need the clarification, is your father, Cal Wenzel, with his business partner, Barry, started a company, and they named it Shane Holmes in honor of this infant child who they assumed would grow up and own the company. Is that how that happened? You know, it was never assumed. Uh, you know, I always had a choice as to whether or not I wanted to join the company, and it was never a guarantee that I would be uh, would be heading it up. I had to uh, rather, for lack of a better term, earn it, not expect it at all. Well, that's interesting. I was wondering if it was like a legend of uh, King Arthur and the sword or something <laughs> like that that came around. It was named after you, but you had to go through this rite of passage. You know, and admittedly, I was... Uh, I was curious, and even to date, I think my mother's still disappointed I didn't pursue a different career in uh, in broadcasting or in comic book art. But you know, I needed something in my career that uh, that helped me flex my my creativity and uh, and and kind of help me with my curiosity of you know of just finding things to do to you know to uh, to to grow myself. And uh, you know, home building is actually a great way to do that because you know there's sales and marketing challenges, there's market research challenges, and of course. You know, like I mentioned earlier, you're growing a business from from six homes a year up to 600. I mean, that's that's a tremendous goal, and it could go even further. But I'm up for the challenge, and that's what uh, that's what I enjoy the most about this business. 
I need to back up a step. You said that your mother was disappointed you didn't become a comic book artist. And I just want to go over that again because most mothers don't make that connection. Uh, well, you know, I was, as a kid, I was always downstairs in, uh, in my own, uh, my own little room in the basement and I had an artboard in there and I, uh, I would, uh, would draw things up, uh, you know, and it was usually comic book art because I, uh, I collected a lot as a, as a kid, you know, but, uh, you know, she, uh, she knew that I liked being in front of the camera and, uh, you know, and that's where the, uh, the thought on broadcasting came from. So she kept thinking, well, he's going to do one or the other. And then all of a sudden I become a home builder. So I think she's over the disappointment now after, uh, after, you know, 30 some odd years, but I think she'd, uh, she'd like a do over at some point. Well, I'm glad to hear that she's over the disappointment of, uh, yeah, only one of Calgary's most successful home builders. You know, it's not a bad consolation. Um, you've teased a couple of thoughts in there about the creative side and you've talked about broadcasting and, um, comic book art. Yes. What drew you to the construction industry specifically? Well, again, you know, I mean, there's lots of challenges. There's lots of uh, lots of different avenues you can go in this business. Anything from you know sales or plain out marketing to estimating, interior design, drafting design, uh, even construction service. Uh, you know, there's a lot of things happening. There's a lot of moving parts in this business, and that's what makes it so uh, so unique and so challenging. You know, and you're trying to find out, you know, where do you fit in this. Uh, in this big puzzle, well, you know, I had a lot of options coming into this end of the company. So I naturally gravitated towards the sales and marketing side because that's that's where my talents were best utilized. You spoke about challenges. Uh, and the, I've, Some of these are challenges you can foresee, but what's the biggest unexpected challenge that you weren't foreseeing that impacted you? And you could be speaking here either personally or in the yeah. workplace, either way or both, I suppose. That's a good question. Well, it's, you know, it's too easy to talk about COVID, and I think everybody's over that by now. Uh, the biggest challenge to get over was uh, was really living up to my father's reputation in the city. Uh, it took me quite a few years to realize that, uh, you know, that I didn't have to. I, uh, I'm not him. I'm someone completely different. And... I do things differently and, uh, you know, I have different, uh, different abilities, different uh, talents, knowledge, and, uh, you know, I ultimately have a different purpose than what he does. You know, so that, uh, that was probably one of the, uh, the biggest unexpected challenges because I think when you're young and you're, you're full of a lot of vigor and energy, you feel like you just have to follow in those footsteps and you hear it enough from people. Well, I mean, that's complete bullshit. You know, you have to follow your own path interesting you should have chosen that response to the question the the in the book after which this podcast is named the i need to effing talk to you chapter three is set in a construction firm a family company and one of the characters in that fictional case study is someone who is trying to follow in his father's footsteps and um, i won't give away any any spoilers but he comes to a conclusion that's not uh it's different from the one that you've made but he goes through the similar rites of passage that you've described exactly it's it fairly common to understand that, but uh, eventually you do. Well, I said I find it interesting when you're saying that, Shane, because it's something you know, I've had in conversation with other people about, particularly if they've got a parent who's been successful in an industry and then you're following that legacy and there's their pressure to, well, I've got to be at least as good as, if not slightly better. Um, and the point you made I think is excellent for our listeners is that 
He's really got to be you. You can't be a carbon copy of whoever came before because what you're bringing is going to be different perhaps to what your your father brought. So with that in mind, in your opinion, what's the most important, important personality trait or strength that you think you would need for, to lead a company like yours? Yeah. I think it really comes down to having uh, you know re- real leadership abilities. And I mean, that, that, that covers off a lot of things. I, I mean, you have to build uh, relationships uh, with people, you know, not only in the company, but externally through, you know, the, in, in various fields from, you know, from uh, bureaucrats to administrators and politicians, uh, you know, so, I mean, you have to, you have to be adept in that. Uh, you have to have strong communication skills. I think that's crucial uh, to any successful business, having a leader like that. Uh, you do have to coach people nowadays. <laughs> they might not have called that called it that in my father's day, but I mean that's essentially what they were doing, and that's you know that's what I've come to know as as being an important quality to have. Uh, you have to have a vision moving forward as to as to where things are going, and uh, and you and you have to have some uh, some tremendous problem solving skills. And well, you know, I learned it early on in my life. Uh, you know, you have to make uh, as many right decisions as possible. And I find it interesting you're mentioning about that building relationships with sort of disparate groups of people because um, our regular listeners will remember a, a previous podcast with uh, Fergus Lawson who was at Scotland Yard and he talked a lot about being able to build relationships with a disparate group of people outside of the organisation. So from your perspective in construction, is there a difference you see between building relations within the industry and building relationships with those outside, particularly when you get into sort of politicians, um, lobbyists, activist groups, et cetera? Sure. Well, absolutely, there's a difference uh, building relationships that way. Uh, you know, it's very easy in the home building industry because we all talk the same language and we're all out there ultimately for the uh, for the same goal, which is just to provide a dream home for uh, for people and and do it in the uh, the most effective, efficient way possible, all while you know maintaining that relationship with them. But you know, when you get outside of it, you uh, you realize with uh, administrators or bureaucrats that I mean they have a different motivation. Uh, you know, their world or their or rather their scope is 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 much more broad. You know, and you're only a portion of it. So I mean, you have to be able to appreciate what uh, what they're dealing with. And on the political side of things, well, you really uh, you know, a politician's a politician. <laughs> you either love them or you hate them, but uh, you know, you do have to respect them because they're there to represent their constituents, which could be, in Calgary's case, anywhere from sixty to one hundred and twenty thousand dollars or one hundred and twenty sorry constituents per ward. Yeah, so I mean, their motivation is different, and they have a lot of people uh, pecking at them for uh, you know to give them the right answers or at least listen to what they have to say. So it's a it's a different balancing act, and and that's where the communication skills come in, and uh, and you need them greatly. Politicians, uh, at the time that we're recording this, we're just fresh off of a municipal election. We've got a new mayor here in the city of Calgary, and so if you were uh, the mayor and the mayor of Calgary, how what would you go? How would you build Calgary's economy or rebuild Calgary's economy in the current situation we find ourselves in? There's a lot of, well, that's a good question, a really good question. Uh, you know, I'm going to jump right back to, you know, you've got to be uh, more collaborative as a leader. 
Uh, and really, uh, you know, what I've seen is an improved relationships uh, between City Hall and Calgary business, uh, or the Calgary business community, rather. Uh, I think it's been strained for a number of years and, you know, better working relationships with other levels of government, uh, especially. I mean, it can't be so divisive. So we have to move on from that. We need something better. And I think, uh, you know, we, we quite possibly have that moving forward. Uh, you know, the one thing I'd like to see more of is support existing businesses, especially the smaller businesses. You know, they helped grow this city. Uh, you know, it's their home. And, you know, once you get past that, once you uh, once you ensure they're, uh, they're solid and on, on firm ground, uh, then I think you have the opportunity to work on diversification. Uh, we're looking at other opportunities, rather, and, and uh, you know, some way of bettering the economy. Uh, you know, I mean, one thing that's near and dear to my heart is, uh, you know, better address the homeless issues that we have in this city. You know, I think that uh, we've had a start and uh, and that's about it. You know, so we have to continue that on and improve that uh, much more. Uh, you know, one thing that's always been near and dear to my heart is, you know, finding a better balance with uh, with the city budgeting and, and, and more specifically, you know, city owned properties that are obviously built for the social good. And find that happy balance with the uh, revenue generating properties. You know, council's job is is really to help generate you know a billion dollars in activity every year. So that's one way of doing it is finding the happy balance. Not everything can be done for the social good, but not everything can be done for revenue generation either. Uh, you know, of course, I'm a big believer in freezing property taxes. <laughs> I think that, uh, you know, after 10, 11 years of constant increases, you know, people are looking for, you know, uh, a freeze. And simply because we've all gone through tough times in this province, and especially in this city, and, uh, you know, nobody's been getting a raise over that time. Uh, I think promoting, or rather do a better job promoting Calgary to the world. You know, I don't think this is about an individual doing it, uh, you know. We're, you know, it's it's actually promoting the city. I mean, uh, we're not just Cowtown anymore. You know, we're not just this oil and gas city. We have so much more to offer here, and it seems like we still get stuck in in in, in the way Calgary was back in the uh, the eighties and the nineties. And I mean, every other city has had to grow from there, and we we're we're really no different. So I mean, you have to be a strong proponent and and promote us on the world stage. Uh, one thing I've always thought of is the, uh, the cost of living is far too high here and it doesn't need to be, you know, I've, uh, I've seen nothing but policy creep over the last 10 years. So we have to remove that. We have to remove that red tape, uh, you know, because we're, we're, we're trying to help people stay here, uh, living and, uh, and working and starting new businesses. So I think a thorough bylaw review or policy reductions are, are necessary, if anything, uh, you know, improving transportation. I, I still get a kick out of the fact that, you know, I love to travel, but, you know, every city I go to, it seems, or larger cities around the world, they have transportation from the airport, you know, in, in the form of a train, uh, you know, from the airport to their city center. So I, I can't understand why this one keeps eluding uh, city council and administration. Uh, but I do think moving forward, one thing that would be beneficial, not only to Calgary and this entire province is, is having that, uh, you know, that uh, high-speed train between Calgary and Edmonton and creating that corridor that uh, that you can, you can share labor back and forth. I mean, the, the world's getting uh, getting smaller, so there's no reason why we can't connect the uh, the two major cities here. 
But of course, you know, that requires uh, you know, more collaboration uh, between municipal governments, provincial and federal governments to make this happen. So a few yeah. suggestions. Yeah, a few that you, right that you put on the table. You can tell I was in election mode the past few weeks, months. <laughs> and out of, out, of, out of that broad swath of suggestions, could you could you narrow that down into one key message or a key point or, or one or two key points that you want the, the listener to take away that kind of summarizes all of your advice about how to approach the economy in, 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 in the coming short term? Well, I mean, I guess to, to, to summarize it, I mean, it's it's taking a holistic view of the city and understanding that, you know, this is a business, but it, you know, it also, it's a business with a social conscience attached to it, you know, and, uh, you know, quite honestly, this world didn't get built, uh, you know, by being divisive, it got built the way it is today by being collaborative in the way we do things, coming to a compromise when you don't necessarily agree with everything. I think that's a really interesting point you make there about that. We have to collaborate. We have to have a conversation with people that we may not agree with mm-hmm. and accept that people think things different to us. Ken and I have talked about this in previous podcasts that we, there is this flavor at the moment, a bit of demonizing people who don't think the same way that we do. It's not just, that's interesting, Shane. You've got a different perspective to me. Can I find out more? It's like, oh my word, Shane doesn't think the same as I do. Quick, cut the cut the recording. Send him. We can't have a conversation with him. Um, and I think your suggestion there is a sound one, and one I'd certainly like to see the the city run with. That's what I. And hopefully, we're we're moving in that direction today. So, with with that in mind, I'm just going to add on to that. I'm a somebody who chose to come and live in Calgary about 10 years ago. If you were looking to attract people to come to Calgary now, you've got a wonderful motto that you use. Have you got a motto for Calgary that you could share with us? Okay. I think it's we've gone around the horn on this for, for quite a few years, but I mean, it's uh, it quite simply put, it's Calgary moving forward, you know, and that's what we have to do. We just keep moving forward. You know, we're, uh, we're very, uh, very young city still, and I mean, we, we have the capability, we have the uh, the raw talent and the uh, the proper think tanks here. So let's move Calgary forward. Okay, well, that's a positive message for us to have for our, our new mayor and new city, Calgary. How do I move the city forward? And let's hand it over to them and see what they do. Well, we're yeah, going to take good. a little bit of an intermission at the moment, away from uh, some of the questions we've been in. So. We say quick fire. Um, they tend to be not so quick, um, yeah. but we'll see how we go. So a favorite movie that you have that you feel teaches a life lesson, and we're going to give you extra points if it has a construction work in it or even a comic book illustrator in it. We'll sort of give you give you both. Yeah, that's actually a tougher one than what it, what it, what it seems. Uh good construction movies. There's no action movies that are construction movies. <laughs> uh, you know, I think one that always stands out for me, though, and uh, you know, I still watch it whenever it comes on television, is uh, you know, Tin Cup with Kevin Costner. And I mean, that that that, that movie always stands out in my mind. And I, I guess the uh, uh, the lesson that you learn from that, uh, you know, I can still hear it. You know, just go for it, Roy. <laughs> you know, 
And I mean, I think that's uh, that's applicable even in life, uh, you know, because we we sometimes stop ourselves from uh, from saying and doing certain things, you know, for for right or wrong reasons. But I mean, it, a lot of times you just have to sit there and say, oh, just go for it, Roy. You know. Quick fire question number two, which Russell alluded to: uh, most important life lesson you learned from a comic book character. Oh, there's so many of them, you know, I mean, we'll just go back to a classic like Spider-Man and, uh, you know, and that is, you know, with, uh, with great power comes great responsibility. You know, that's, uh, that's always, uh, that's always been a line that stuck out in my mind and it's, thought, uh, it's very true. I thought we were getting away from politics when you talk about great power and great responsibility, but now we've returned full we circle to this. We are, because even in my role, I have, uh, you know, I feel like I have a, I have a social responsibility to the world. You know, I mean, it's, uh, Profit is not a bad word, uh, even though some people would have you believe so. But, you know, it's what you do with that profit that makes makes the most sense at the end of the day. So, you know, we've always lived with the philosophy here that, you know, we, we, we derive an income from the community. So we have to give back to it. And that's why we're, we're, we're so heavily involved with uh, with recreation centers, libraries, uh, you know, a lot of the... Uh, lot of the other charities out there that require uh, require support that they may not get from the government quite you true know, i think it, great power comes great responsibility you and that's absolutely right you talked about profit being sometimes perceived as a dirty word and uh, i came across a quote last month from samuel gompers who said that the biggest pro the biggest crime that a company can commit is to not make a profit it's an interesting quote because Samuel Gompers, well, I, I had to look him up. He's the guy who amalgamated all of the American unions into the uh, the Great American uh, Union. I, I forget what it's called now. But he was the biggest union uh, union organizer of the 19th century. And yet he felt that a company's primary and most moral responsibility was to turn a profit because otherwise it couldn't employ workers. Well, if we don't turn a profit, we're not going to be around very long. So. <laughs> Quick fire question number three for you yes. is um, favorite book that teaches a life lesson. God, there's so many. I mean, you can see them all behind me here. <laughs> uh, you know, one that uh, you know I still have fun with. Uh, you know, and I read it. Uh, I read it over last summer. Is uh, "Crushing It" by Gary uh, Vaynerchuk. You know, and I, uh, you know, I appreciate the book and I appreciate the stories in it because there's a lot of personal branding and business cases uh, inside of it. And I mean, it's good good short read at times, but I mean, it's thought provoking and, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's not always about success for the, uh, for the purposes of wealth, but, uh, really for personal growth too. You know, so that's still a favorite book of mine. I still, uh, I keep that one at home, uh, you know, in, uh, in my office there because you know, I like to flip through the odd chapter still. Okay. So some great, uh, recommendations there from, um, Shane, about whether it's a book, whether it's a comic book or a movie for our listeners to uh, go and delve into. Um, back into your thoughts when you were talking about some of the skills and attributes that were needed, is there a particular tool that you use or a mental model that you use in your work that you think would be beneficial for our listeners to hear about so they can take a deep dive into? You know, I don't know if there's a if there's a particular method other than I've had uh, you know 31 years to understand how this business works. Uh, I you know I'm I, I'm continuously upgrading my skills and knowledge within you know with business groups like Tech Canada as an example or 
or taking online courses. I mean, webinars seem to be so popular lately. And, uh, you know, even I catch myself uh, watching or listening over over lunch hour just to pick up, you know, pick up on new trends or new fads that might be coming out. But, you know, it's not just being that collaborative leader who's prepared to change uh, with, you know, but, uh, you know, at least being prepared to change is what I should say. Uh, you know, because I can change my opinion giving, given the uh, the right debate. But, uh, you know, sorry, uh, one thing that that maybe I do that, that, that fits with what you're asking is, you know, I keep this little booklet. You know, not everything has to be on your phone where I keep uh, different notes and ideas in because, you know, I just, I learned to write. And, uh, you know, sometimes when you're sitting there uh, late at night and you come up with this wonderful idea where, of where you think the company needs to go, you throw it in here and, you know, I can flip through it at a, at a moment's notice and add notes to it. Uh, and, I, you know, you retain it a heck of a lot better when you're, uh, when you write it down. And I noticed the title of that book as oh, well. Your notebook yeah. being "Effing Brilliant," which uh, is as if you, yeah, that sounds that sounds great. And it's interesting you say that just about advice to people of having a notebook to make notes in. Um, the singer Sammy Hagar had said about that when asked, "How do you come up with ideas for songs?" And he said, "But he always kept a notebook and pen by his bedside because he said if he woke up at like middle of the night." with a lyric or a melody in his head, he would quickly write it down in the book as sort of like thanking his brain for coming up with that so that he could then go back to sleep. He said otherwise he would just have this tune or a, a lyric line just running in his head the whole day, wake yeah. up in the morning, couldn't remember it. So he said that was a good way of just get, keep capturing those thoughts. And a, a quick check-in with you guys. Do, do either of you guys find it's different when you write with a pen onto a piece of paper than if you're taking a note on your or typing on your computer? Like, does it help you think differently in some way? Yes. Yeah, I think it helps uh, helps galvanize the idea and retain it a lot better. I mean, too many times you're, you're, you're caught, you know, thumbing away on your phone, typing in a note, and you, it's too easy to forget it. Whereas if it's written down, uh, you've taken the time to really kind of process the idea. and. Uh, and to me, I find it just a heck of a lot easier to reference back to it. And there's something different about uh, like writing with your pen in your hand. Like I, yeah. I guess maybe it goes back to the way we evolved uh, to, mm -hmm. to use our brains and our hands to use tools. Maybe maybe it comes yes. from something like that. But I find it there's something about the mechanical act of writing that imprints it in my brain in a different way. I agree. That's and that's likely why I do it that way. Yeah, I, I would echo that. Um, although I appreciate that probably any of our listeners under the age of 25 uh, are while you're talking and now Googling up what is a notebook and a pen because they may not have ever used them as they've always been having sort of notes on their uh, uh, iPhone or whatever. One of our uh, previous uh, guests, also in the construction trade, uh, Byron Brooks from Brookwright, pointed out that uh, to me that um, uh, I, I, can, I can write in cursive and he doesn't. And that's a generational thing, like ever mm -hmm. so slight generational thing. It's like, wow, really? So it's it's funny how we're losing those those skills. But uh, Russell, back to you for let's keep us back on track and on agenda. What's our <laughs> okay. next? What's our next prepared question? <laughs> okay. Well, let, well, let's just change pace slightly. You mentioned uh, before, you know, you listen to a lot of um, you know, webinars or YouTube videos. And I've noticed that you do a fair amount of social media. One of the things you have are your Q&A videos, 
which I've yeah. enjoyed watching. And I think you're on your maybe your third or fourth of those. So what's made you start doing that? And what was the most, which perhaps your favorite question that you've been asked? Uh, well, you know, that I, I, it's, it's one of the benefits or one of the curses of being on social media is that, you know, people can communicate with you and they can communicate with you any time of day. So I kept getting these questions asked of me and, you know, I try and reply and, you know, after a while, you know, you're in, you end up writing a couple paragraphs and you think this is stupid. <laughs> you know, if I can't give a quick answer in one sentence, then it's probably worthwhile making it a video. And that's where the videos ended up coming from. So I just I kind of accumulate some of the uh, some of the best questions and uh, answer them in long form on video. It just uh, you know it, it, it at least attached some emotion to it uh, with the uh, with the response. So that's where all that came from. And uh, you know, and the questions still keep rolling in. So don't worry, there's a part four and a part five in the works already. Well, I'm, I'm pleased to hear it because there are a fairly eclectic mix of questions that you sure. you get asked or address on a particular episode. So, but so do you have a favorite question that you were asked? Oh, you know that was that's a tough one actually. Uh, you know, because there's so many uh, so many good ones there. But I think the one that still uh, still kind of puts a smile on my face and uh, and makes me laugh, uh, you know, was was just the simple question of, "Are you really gay?" Yeah, you know, just a very simple question, and not a uh, not a one liner I could actually fill out. I mean, it's too easy. A to bit of a personal question say. too. Are people asking yes. this of you on on LinkedIn? Well, I think they're more uh, more baffled by the fact that you know. I mean, there's this uh, this stereotype or this perception of what uh, what gay really means, and uh, you know, it's very old school, uh, a very old school version. You know, and they you know they sit there with questions like. Well, you can't be conservative or have conservative values if you are. Well, yeah, I can because you know I grew up in a household with with two very strong-willed individuals. Uh, you know, two very strong A-type personalities. Both my parents are entrepreneurs and uh, and uh, classic workaholics. So, you know, you end up with conservative values, but you also end up with skills like critical thinking. You know, so you can't be you can't be gay because you know. You have you have these these conservative values because that's just the way I think, and you can't, of course, because you're in the construction industry because that's far too macho. But it's true, <laughs> and, and that's interesting. Just in that idea, that there's that we talk about stereotypes often when we're in work, or stereotypes in the business around particular groups or individuals, and mm. it's interesting that people will still say to you, "Well, you can't be." Surely you can't be gay because, you know, you're a conservative yeah. and you work in construction. Mm. And you sort of, even when you're saying that, I know I'm thinking, I don't know if Ken was like, but but why can't you be? You know, is it do you have to be a certain type of job that you have only to fit into that box? It seems to be a bit limiting of people. It, it must be. And, uh, you know, I still get a kick out of that question. I guess that's why I brought it up. It's, you know, it's still one of my favorites because every time I think of it, I just laugh. I don't, I don't know. It's an interesting one to be asked. Are you sure? Yeah, I am. Yeah. <laughs> well, let's sure. turn the question around to Russell. Russell, are you, are you sure you're? Are you sure you're? You're English because you know you can't be English because you be. you're here in Canada. So well, well, I, I, I have had that. Uh, with you don't have a beer in your hand. <laughs> <laughs> he does. It's just out of frame. It's just, right just out, out of frame. It's right out of shot. Yeah. Although it does remind me of people being asking questions like I was asked once, are you sure you're from you're from London? 
and which I found was quite an interesting. And they said, well, you can't be because you don't sound like you're from London. And I was like, well, obviously you've never spoken to anybody from London because yeah. I would live there for 40 plus years and somebody's telling me, no, you're an Australian. Oh, really? I found that interesting. So <laughs> if I found that a strange question, I can imagine how you found your question quite strange as well. Oh, uh, you know, like I said, you just you gotta you, you gotta grin and bear it and uh, and laugh a little about it. And yeah, okay. <laughs> well, you know, we, we've talked a lot, Shane, in glowing terms about your your successes and your contributions to the city and uh, all of, all of your accomplishments. So let's turn that question around because we often learn the best from the things that don't go as well. So, uh, what has been your biggest career failure? And what did you learn from it that the rest of us can take away? I'm going to enjoy this one. <laughs> no one ever wants to show what their weaknesses are, but, you know, I certainly had one there. Is, uh, you know, when I became president, uh, going back uh, nine, ten years now, I had a list of things that I felt needed to uh, change or, or, or evolve within the group of companies. Now, I tried to implement uh, that change uh, almost too rapidly. And what I didn't realize at the time is I didn't have buy-in from my management team. Uh, but ultimately, or sorry, ultimately, I, I pushed forward with it. And well, ultimately, uh, that change failed back then. I, it took me, it, it really kind of set me back. So it it uh, it took me more years and uh, some personnel changes to actually make it happen. And I guess, I guess the lesson, uh, what would be the best way to describe it is uh, you know, run when you can, walk when you have to. <laughs> because that, uh, you know, was the right thing to do and we're doing it now, but it just failed immensely. And I, I just, I don't know what, what the issue was at the time, other than the fact that I just had the blinders on that people would just naturally follow me down this path. And they didn't. They didn't want to. Tough you said you learn. didn't. You said you didn't have buy-in from the mm -hmm. leadership team, and um, so uh, how, how much of this are you? Are, can you talk about what was the change, and then secondly, what was the point of resistance? It, it really came back to uh, implementing uh, values changes within the company and uh, and moving it more in a uh, more in a uh, I guess uh, a customer-centric direction or a customer experience direction is probably the better way to explain it. And you know it's all it's all benevolent, but uh, you know it uh, at the end of the day was was almost too much change when you know everybody's sitting there saying, "Hey, nothing's broken. Let's not try and break it." And yet I guess I come from the side of things where I'm saying, "No, we have to break it because the world is changing and people expect a different customer experience when they're building their new home. It's not just a matter of sell it, design it." build it, service it anymore. I mean, there's a, there's a process and there's a journey that we have to go on. And, uh, you know, again, I blame myself for that one because I tried to move it too rapidly. I tried to, you know, basically put the brakes on what we were doing already and, and move everybody in this direction. And that that was just too hard for uh, for some people to do. And they didn't like it. And they let me know it. And uh, good for you for for uh, identifying that lesson and reflecting it reflecting it back to us. Uh, you, you talked about the the customer experience. So, what is it that sets a Shane home 
apart from any other home that we might get from any other builders? Well, I mean, uh, you know, that, one, that one's easy to describe and not so easy to describe. Uh, you know, simply put, new homes are 80% the same, 20% different. And a lot of that 20% difference is what, what it comes down to with, uh, with the people, the processes uh, within the company. And, uh, you know, and that's where we feel that we're different. And that's where we're, we're trying to change up the customer experience. Uh, you know, I mean, there's this traditional way of buying homes where you would travel around the city, you know, from subdivision to subdivision and show home to show home and visit them. And, uh, and really, I mean, that wasn't accommodating to customers. So, I mean, we had to, tr- we had to try and start the experience off in a better way. So that starts right up front with your website it, and it starts right up front with your people. You know, so people are taking the time up front, they're learning what they want. And they're only going out and visiting certain areas and certain show homes with certain builders. You know, so we wanted to be at the forefront. And uh, I think one of the things that we're most proud of is the fact that we do have this longevity with our staff. And uh, they're well-educated people and they're very, very knowledgeable when it comes to uh, home building. And it's not to say that you're not bringing in, uh, bringing in younger talent, but at the same time, you know, you have to uh, you have to mentor that young talent coming in because we have a Shane way of doing things. So right from the beginning, we want the customer experience to be fun, engaging, and uh, and be able to answer the questions that people have right up front and all the way throughout the process. So there's a lot of hand holding, and not everybody is prepared to do that. Some people are, or some groups out there, are prepared to sell you the home and then tell you to bugger off until you occupy. That's not what we do. That's not what we ever wanted to do. Uh, we just had to make sure that you know the process that we were bringing people through matched what they're you know, matched up to their expectations of, of what an enjoyable experience is. I was really interested. You were saying um, Shane earlier in that piece about uh, get be moving too quickly with something, wanting to put mm-hmm. a change in place, and feel as you hadn't got people coming with you. Because one of the things that I've often talked to managers around in in my work or my practice is coaching them in their role is there's a temptation when you take up a new managerial role that you want to have a big impact. People talk about the first 90 days, first 100 days. You know, how can you have an impact? And one of the things I've cautioned people about is spend time getting to know where your organization is, who your people are, and where they are at the moment. And you alluded to this in some way of, I need to sort of meet them where they are to bring them to where I want to be. I can't sort of just stand on the other side of the street shouting at them, why aren't you over here? Because they're saying, because we're not, and we're not going to move. So I found it interesting, your lesson that you learned there about realizing that you needed to say, okay, I need to go where they are and then bring them with me. And that's exactly what it was. I, I failed to bring them along for the ride. I just expected them to do it. Big mistake. Good one well, to learn. Thank about. you being so uh, candid about that with us. I think it's a, a useful for our listeners to realize that you know sometimes mistakes that we make are the great learning for us that we can um, advise others or not fall into that same problem before. So, if we go back onto the onto the even more positive, shall we say? If there's one thing you could be remembered for at the end of your career, what would it be? I think I'd like to be known as the uh, the guy who impacted people's lives. You know, really who, uh, 
who helped to make a significant change for the better. You know, like I don't need trophies or, you know, awards on the wall, just you know, really the knowledge that, uh, that my words or my actions made someone's life better. That's a great place to end our podcast. We're almost at time. Uh, maybe we'll ask one last question. Is, is there something that you're working on currently that you'd like our listeners to know about that they could be tuning into or paying attention to or watching out for that you're up to in the future? Well, I mean, it, it really goes back to that, uh, that customer experience and that customer journey. Uh, you know, one of the things that, uh, that people wanted to, uh, to make their decisions properly uh, uh, was the opportunity to have transparency on their home when they're, uh, when, they're, when they're imagining building it. So for lack of a better term, build in price. Now, we had this in place here about six years ago. And, uh, we, you know, there's another great example of not having the buy-in. But six years ago, we had it, and it probably wasn't even the right time. So here we are six years later, courtesy of, you know, of, of, of lockdowns. Uh, we're back with, uh, with build and price, and that gives you transparency on, uh, on your new home purchase. And I mean, literally, you could sit in your, uh, on your couch with your laptop, uh, select the neighborhood, select a lot, select the home that you want with, uh, with the floor plan options in it, and start building your dream home from there. So that's been uh, been in place now for 30 days, and it's meeting with you know, just rave reviews from from people who are pricing out their new home. And we'll find that on your website at the Shane Homes website. It's on the Shane Homes website, and it's uh, it's it's labeled as build in price. Awesome. That's great for our listeners to be able to pay attention to. As somebody who himself just just built and purchased a new home, I encourage. Every listener who's thinking about this did look for transparency in price. So thank you very much for sharing that. Oh, thank you. Hey, well, th thanks very much, Shane, for uh, coming on to the show. Uh, it's been great to talk to you. And thank you for giving up your time. I'm sure our listeners have benefited from your insights, whether it was uh, your experiences in work or your uh, little-known comic book genius so we perhaps we should be looking out for some cartoons that might be coming out at some point oh you never know there's always room for a second tree <laughs> <laughs> and that wraps up this episode we hope you enjoyed it remember to subscribe via apple Podcasts or spotify share the link with your friends and colleagues and of course you can always reach out to russell and i at the email address in the show notes goodbye for now and we will effing talk to you soon bye everyone bye